The sermon text for this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I invite you to please turn there in your copy of Scripture as I read uh, the text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, uh, continuing in our series through this epistle. And there we read, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, we have many wonderful examples of godly men and women throughout the scriptures. We spent several weeks last year studying Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter that is known as the Hall of Faith. That's, if you recall, the chapter in Hebrews that has that repeated phrase, by faith. And the author goes through Redemptive history goes through the Old Testament, noting how the Old Testament saints persevered in their faith despite not seeing the promises of God fully fulfilled in their lifetimes. Throughout that chapter, we see people that weren't perfect, right? People like Abraham, Moses, and David. These people were not perfect, but they were people who had saving faith, and they trusted in the Lord. And so the author of Hebrews calls us to look to them and to learn from them, to learn from their mistakes, but also to learn especially from their faithfulness to the Lord. So we have many wonderful examples of godly men and women in the Bible, but we also have many wonderful examples of godly men and women throughout church history. There was a a book written in 1563 titled Acts and Monuments. Uh, We know it as Fox's Book of Martyrs. You may have heard of it. It was written by a man named John Fox, and and in it he details the lives and the sufferings of, of many Christians over the centuries, Christians that died for their faith in Christ. And John Fox, in that book, he gives example after example of people who died for the truth and describes how their lives demonstrated their 
gospel convictions. In fact, if you read about the history of Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, you'll read about the fact that for many centuries, the two books that most Christians owned uh, were the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. And Christians were edified as they read about faithful brothers and sisters who remained steadfast in their faith even unto death. So we have wonderful examples in Scripture throughout church history. But, you know, many of us this morning, we don't have to look that far back to see wonderful examples of godly men and women because I believe that each and every one of us has at least one family member or friend whose faith we admire. Uh, We know that they're not perfect. We would not put our trust in them, but we've gotten to know them over the years, and we see how they follow Christ, how they serve Christ. And so we admire them for their faith. And, you know, when we admire people like this, uh, it does something to us. We get to know godly men and women, and we begin to admire their faith in Jesus. What it does is it reminds us about the power of God, right? the power of God to bring people to himself and, and to change their hearts, to grant people a devotion to him right? that wasn't there before. As we get to know godly people, we know that it's not by their own strength that they walk faithfully, but it's ultimately by God's grace. And You know, when we get to know godly people, it also challenges us, doesn't it? It encourages us to strive after godliness as well, to seek faithfulness. As we see doctrinal truths, as we uh, see ethical convictions lived out in their own lives, we want in very many ways to, to live as they live. We see those things embodied in them, and we want them also embodied in our own lives. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in the passage of Scripture that's before us. Uh, He holds up two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as examples of faithfulness. Uh, They're not perfect examples. They're not perfect men, but they are faithful. They're godly. They, in many ways, show forth the Christ-likeness that the Apostle Paul has been speaking about throughout chapters 1 and 2 of of this letter. These are two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who embodied the Christ-like humility that we have been learning about, the humility that we read about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, these verses that we have referred to often in the past few weeks. Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then we know Paul describes Christ's willing humiliation and then his subsequent super exaltation. Well, now in the passage that is before us this morning, Timothy And Epaphroditus, Paul points out, embodied this Christ-like humility, this Christ-like service to the body of Christ, uh, to to the church. 
And so let us consider these two men this morning and what the Holy Spirit teaches us as a church by the examples of of these two men. We see first in our text that we must uh, show concern for others in the church. We see this in verses 19 through 21 where we read, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Well, Timothy was well known by the church in Philippi because as we read from Acts chapter 16, he was there when the church was planted. We noted in that chapter how Paul wanted Timothy to begin accompanying him on his missionary journeys. And so when Paul arrived in Philippi, Timothy was right there with him. And Timothy knew Lydia. He knew Lydia and her family, the the first convert we read about in Philippi. Timothy also knew the Philippian jailer and his family. And, And he knew the many others that were converted and that joined that first church in Philippi. And so, uh, many years later, as the Apostle Paul now writes to the Philippians from prison, he's writing to thank them for the gifts that they sent him, he mentions Timothy, this man that they knew, that they loved. And we see in verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now, the plan was for Timothy to visit Philippi while Paul was in jail, and then Timothy would go to Paul and update him on how uh, the church was doing. But notice how Paul uh, describes Timothy in verse 20. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, when you're concerned about someone, um, you know, in a positive sense, you care about them. Uh, You you think about them and and their needs, and you think about their well-being. You pray for them, and you work to to bless them. And we see that that's how Timothy felt about the Christians in Philippi. He, we read, was genuinely concerned for their welfare. Timothy, we see, was not like so many others in the ministry who sought their own interests, um, who preached Christ out of selfish ambition, those who Paul spoke about in chapter 1, verse 17. Now, what we see with Timothy is he loved Christ, and because he loved Christ, he loved Christ's church, his people. And Timothy showed his love by showing his concern. He genuinely cared about the Christians at Philippi. Paul describes Timothy in this way to show us that a Christ-like character is revealed, a Christ-like character is demonstrated in how much we care for fellow believers, and then how we demonstrate that care for fellow believers, for those in the church. As we look at the text, you know, how did Timothy demonstrate his concern? Well, he demonstrated it by helping Paul 
on his missionary journeys. And, you know, as we think about Timothy, we have to understand, loved ones, that this was a huge sacrifice for Timothy. It was a huge sacrifice of his time and of his energy. And, you know, accompanying Paul on his missionary journeys, this was a difficult calling. This is a high calling. Being a missionary today, you know, we know it's, it's very difficult, right? We get uh, news from the missionaries that we support about the challenges that they face. But, you know, being a missionary in the first century was far more difficult. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists some of the extreme, extreme difficulties that he endured, uh, those, those things that, that he suffered uh, during his missionary journeys. Paul writes, uh, beginning at verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure." great, great challenge to be a missionary in the first century. And Timothy and others were accompanying Paul throughout his journey. And so they experienced much the same things that we read about in, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But we read that by the grace of God and for the love of Christ's church, these missionaries, these early Christians endured. What about you and me this morning? How is our concern for our fellow believers in this church revealed? You know, when we think about this being the, the first Sunday of, of the year, we realize that it's a new year with uh, new opportunities to serve, right? to renew our commitment to pray for others in the church, to serve others in the church, and to show our concern by devoting our time and our energy and our efforts uh, to serving Christ and those within his church. So we see that Timothy was not just a model of what genuine concern for fellow believers looks like and uh, is demonstrated in, in daily life, but Timothy, we read, was also a model in what it looks like to work to spread the gospel. We read in verses 22 through 24, Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So there in verse 22, when Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, well, they know it because, again, Timothy was with Paul and Silas when the church in Philippi was planted. At that time, when the church in Philippi was planted, Timothy was a young man. Uh, he was inexperienced. We read in Acts chapter 16 that he had just been recruited by Paul, and so he was 
brand new, right, to this dynamic ministry team. Uh, you know, can you, can you imagine what it was like for Timothy to be a part of, of this group of, of godly men? I would liken it to going from uh, like Little League Baseball to Major League Baseball overnight. Right? Here's Timothy. He's just joined this missionary team, and who's on it? It's the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, who wrote at least 13 books in the New Testament. Uh, Dr. Luke is on the team, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And, and here's young Timothy. Young Timothy, who's inexperienced, who's timid, who we know from the scriptures had health issues, and yet he gave his life for the gospel, for gospel ministry. What we see that defined Timothy's ministry was not his dynamic gifts. It wasn't his abilities, but what defined Timothy was his faithfulness, his faithfulness to Paul and, more importantly, to the Lord Jesus. It's important for us to note how the early church, how uh, Paul and Timothy, Luke and Silas, and soon we'll learn about Epaphroditus, you see how they worked together for the spread of the gospel. It's important that we see this in these few verses, that none of them considered themselves lone ranger Christians as uh, wanting to live in isolation. And none of them felt as though they alone were in charge of carrying forth the gospel ministry and everything rested on their shoulders. No, what we see instead, loved ones, throughout the New Testament and especially in these verses, what we see instead is that they worked together. They worked in unity with one another and in unity with the Holy Spirit to make Christ known throughout the world. In fact, what we see in the New Testament is that they were often unashamedly dependent on one another, fully reliant on each other's faithfulness. I want you to think about it this morning. Think about the fact that Paul was writing this letter from prison, and he was dependent on the Philippians to send him help. In the ancient world, we've noted prisoners... Uh, depended upon friends and family for food and clothing. So Paul was dependent upon the Philippians, and then Paul was dependent upon Epaphroditus, who was a member of the Philippian church, to bring him the gift from the Philippians, the supplies that he needed. And then Timothy, young Timothy, he was dependent upon Paul to give him instruction and guidance. And then Paul was dependent upon Timothy to help him oversee the many churches that he had planted, especially while he was there in prison. He was stuck. Your loved ones, this is, this is all by design. This is how the Lord Jesus designed his church to operate right, as a body. We read that just as the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. We know that's not the way a body works, that a body thrives, and neither will the church. What we see from this passage and many others in the New Testament, friends, is that each one of us has a role. 
Each one of us has a gift, has a grace that we bring to this body, to this church. And so I want us to see that we are working together for the same goals. We're not working against each other, but we are working in unity with God's Spirit, according to God's Word, toward the same ends. We are working, as our mission statement says, to worship God, to offer Him true worship, to grow in our knowledge of Him, to grow in grace together as we disciple one another, and toward evangelism, right? making Christ known locally and throughout the world. These are our goals as a church. And each of us, each and every single one of us, elders and children's Sunday school teachers and those who are are faithful in prayer and those who are faithful in ushering, our musicians and our nursery volunteers, see, we are all working together, dependent on each other, working toward the same goals. See, that is the biblical view of Christ's church. And so Paul now gives us another example of godliness by describing a man named Epaphroditus. As we see the importance of connecting emotionally with others in the church in verses 25 through 27. Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Well, what uh, Paul tells us about Epaphroditus here, this is all that we know about about this, this man. His name uh, means honored by Aphrodite. Um, And many of us know that the Greek goddess Aphrodite was associated with love and beauty, uh, which reveals that he was a Gentile, that Epaphroditus was a Gentile, and he was born to pagan parents, and that he converted to Christ later in life. Uh, Epaphroditus... We, we see here, was a member of the Philippian church. And he was sent, along with some others, to uh, take some financial assistance to Paul. Paul, who we know was under arrest and, as we said, was dependent upon the generosity of, of fellow Christians. And so Epaphroditus left, along with some others, and took this gift, and the gift ultimately reached Paul. We know it reached Paul because of Paul's thank you to them in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, where Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus you know, accomplished his goal of, of getting Paul what, what he needed while he was in prison. But we see that apparently During his voyage to reach Paul, Epaphroditus became ill. Uh, So ill that we read that he was near to death in chapter 2, verse 27. 
And so the members of the church in Philippi, somehow they heard about his illness and that he was suffering greatly. I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says that when Epaphroditus heard that the church had found out about his illness, Epaphroditus was distressed. Why was Epaphroditus distressed? Well, because we see that he knew that the church loved him and that they would be worried about him, excessively worried about him. They loved Epaphroditus. He was their brother in Christ. He was a church member. And we see that he was worried that they would be worried. My siblings uh, and I, we use uh, group texting to keep each other up to date about our parents' health. Um, My parents are both elderly, and they have, especially over the past three years, been experiencing uh, more and more frequent illnesses. And so, uh, you know, once in a while, I'll get a group text from one of my brothers uh, or one of my sisters, and it usually says something like, hey, family, just just a heads up that uh, mom feels really sick. Uh, I'm going to take her to the doctor, right? And so when I get a text like that, I immediately feel concerned and worried for my mom uh, until about an hour or two passes, and then I get a, usually a second text saying uh, she's going to be okay, right? Uh, doctor said it's a minor thing. Uh, he prescribed something, and, and she'll be fine. Right? So one or two hours of concern, but then it kind of passes. Uh, now imagine... Imagine the ancient world where news traveled very slow, right? There was no cell phones, no no texting. And so when the church heard that Epaphroditus was sick, he was probably going to die, they were worried for days, maybe, maybe weeks on end, right? And what this shows us, loved ones, it shows us the emotional connection that Epaphroditus had with others in the church and that they had with him. See, this wasn't a, like a casual fellowship that they had together. It wasn't an occasional let's just get together and, and hang out. But what characterized their relationship as a church was a deep bond. They cared for him. He cared for them. And that's what it means, loved ones, to be a part of a church truly be a part of a church, to grow together to the point where we love one another and we care deeply for one another, where we fulfill what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How are you able to do that? You're able to do that by going to love one another, to get to know one another uh, deeply. This is a a testament to the Spirit of Christ working in our church and in His church throughout the world, right? Uniting us as, as brothers and sisters in Him and constantly driving us to pray for one another, to help one another, and to encourage one another in our faith. And lastly, we see in verses 28 through 30 the importance of honoring those who are committed to working for Christ. Paul says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. 
So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. See that Paul included this instruction to the church in Philippi to honor Epaphroditus upon his return. He was to be honored, Paul says, because of his devotion to the work of Christ. Epaphroditus nearly died, we see in verse 30, for the work of Christ. Now, to honor a person means to esteem them or uh, to, to admire some quality about them, and so you esteem them because of that quality. Now, this doesn't mean that we think too highly of them or that we put them up on pedestals, but we ought to admire them, honor them, esteem them for the way specifically that they serve Christ and are devoted to Christ. You know, it's easy for us to fall into the temptation to admire ungodly people, isn't it? Uh, celebrities and pro athletes and successful entrepreneurs. Uh, but, you know, with most of them, when we see into their personal lives, we start to realize there's very little there to admire. Uh, their lives are often marked by greed and pride and ungodliness. And, you know, in ancient Rome, when Paul was writing this letter and when Paul was carrying out his ministry, there were plenty of celebrities and pro-athletes and successful entrepreneurs there too, just like there are today. But Paul says, honor those who are sold out for Christ, those who are devoted to the work of Christ, who give their lives to the work of the gospel. So I want to encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, to make it a habit of reading Christian biographies, biographies of great men and women who over the centuries were faithful to Christ and demonstrated their faithfulness in great ways to support our missionaries, to encourage your elders, to support men who want to pursue a pastoral ministry. Why would we do these things? Well, because we know that these things have eternal significance. We know the importance of them. And just as we include this this text, you know, it's, it's interesting that we know about Epaphroditus because of what's recorded here about him. We don't hear anything else about this man in the rest of Scripture. The only reason we know about him is because the Holy Spirit had inspired Paul to write these few verses. And yet this man, Epaphroditus, as little as we know about him, what we know is that he was sold out for Christ. See, he loved Jesus and his church. And as we, as we survey a church history, right, there are so many faithful men and women, loved ones, who we do not know about. Millions of faithful men and women over the centuries who labor and continue to labor quietly, diligently, for Christ and his church, who demonstrated it daily in their lives. At this very moment, there are missionaries in China and the Middle East who 
we will probably never hear about in our lifetimes, but we will know in glory as the fruits of their work will be revealed. I want to encourage you with this thought because, you know, it can be uh, discouraging sometimes to see the smallness of the church, even the weakness of the church, and sometimes we might even feel alone. But loved ones, God always has his people. Faithful people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul and faithful men and women throughout the centuries, and you and me are included in that great cloud of witnesses. I'm always encouraged when I read about uh, what the Lord told Elijah. As Elijah was running and fearing for his life, and felt like he was alone. And the Lord Jesus said, Elijah, there are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee. You are not alone. Loved ones, God is faithful. He is faithful to gather his church, to build his church, and to sustain his church. All praise and all glory be to him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the many examples of godliness uh, throughout the scriptures, throughout church history, and even uh, in our own lives. We thank you that you have surrounded us with faithful men and women that show us what it looks like to walk humbly with you. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to bless us with more and more examples in our own lives and that you would cause each and every one of us to be examples uh, to others as we Follow after Christ, who is the one who lived and who died and who was raised and ascended and is now seated at your right hand. We pray these things in his name. Amen.